It's Monday, January 30th, and you're almost there if you're doing dry January. We have Mike Ripka from Torchy's Tacos and the return of the segment First Bite, and we've named it First Course. Crap, I got that wrong. Welcome to Eat of Virginia. Welcome to Eat of Virginia, your number one podcast source for food, news, and interviews with the people who make Virginia restaurants great. Follow us on social media at Eat of Virginia and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. My name is Scott Wise and I'm joined as always by my friend, my friend, Roby Martin. Roby, thank you for the hospitality today, by the way. Oh, yay. We're sitting here in Roby's uh, recording studio. Welcome to the recording studio. And knowing that I'm doing a dry January, she's provided some alcohol-free cocktails yep we're gonna call it an alcohol-free gin martini so we went to that spot that is next to jardin right there in the old baja bean building and less than has like a little side of all in a spirits so in honor of your dry january we are currently having ritual zero proof gin alternative Martinis. This is a non-sponsored segment, by the way, just yes. so we're clear. But if Ritual wants to sponsor you, Scott, you'd take it, wouldn't you? They have a tequila alternative. One more day to sponsor me well, for you know non-alcoholic what? drinks, and uh, then I'm, I'm back on the wagon. Weirder things have happened. Or is it off the wagon? Is it on the wagon or off the wagon? Wherever it is, that's where I'm going to be. Think if you're on the wagon, you're dry. If you're off the wagon, you're wet. Got it. <laughs> How about that? And yes, moving right along. Um, so this is an interesting podcast episode for us, a little different than most. Mostly we focus on local establishments, local chefs, local restaurateurs, local farmers. Today we're doing a national chain, Roby. That's a little off brand for us. It is a lot off brand for us, but the national chain is owned by a guy who is from Richmond. So the king of Torchy's Tacos, the Austin, Texas-based taco chain, which opened up in Short Pump in January, is opening up in Carytown in February, and opening up in Midlothian sometime later this year, has Richmond roots. And he comes back a lot, he says. So he grew up here, Mike Ripka did, and he comes back because he has a friend here, and he mentioned some restaurants that he likes. He also is very, very excited about his own restaurant, and it's been a while since I have been on a podcast with someone who has such incredibly engaging confidence. He was definitely a great interview. He also told us about what you should order if you have yet to experience the Torchies taco experience. How to get past the line. How to get past the line, a little little uh, insider information, and he spills the beans on the secret menu. Which... I got past the line, ordered what he said to order, and got the secret menu. And as one would assume, that guy is dead on. Do you want to get to the interview <laughs> first, and then we can talk about our torches experience afterwards? Perfect. All right, let's go. Scott, I actually was just recently in Houston, Texas. And when I was asking some of the individuals over Instagram where I should eat... Torchies was one of the suggestions because apparently it's like you have a cult following, Mike. It's crazy. (laughs) 
Well, we, we, we try our best. We try our best. Um, you know, I think a lot of it just, we got a great culture um, just with like our staff and our customers. And then, you know, I think our food speaks for itself, um, being scratch made and a lot of food with love and passion. We put a lot of love and passion in our food every day. So um, I think it translates and, and people enjoy it. You guys recently opened up uh, a shop here in Henrico County, Short Pump, Virginia. And yep. the opening day, which was uh, earlier in January, the line was stretched out the parking lot. I tried to take my kids last night so I can get a little uh, recon, a little intelligence about the, the product, but it was still crowded. I couldn't even, I didn't, like we drew, went to the parking lot. We were like, not tonight. Tonight's not the night. Yeah. What are some insider tips for folks that want to check out Torchies for the first time and not screw it up? Um, you know, I, I mean, at least the first week or two, probably trying to come in the off hours where it's not quite as crowded, um, probably easier said than done. Uh, we do, we've been fortunate. We do have pretty powerful openings when we open a store, which is awesome. Um, so I usually suggest to people, um, you know, trying to go in the off hours and, uh, and experiencing it that way. Um, we also, we have a, we have a bar that you can walk in and just grab a seat at the bar. Um, I think some of our customers forget they can cut the line and just go straight to the bar and sit down there and get full service at the bar. So that helps uh, as well. Um, if you think there's a busy line, sometimes you can peek in and go, oh, there's two bar seats open. We go sit at the bar and, and, and get a taste that way. That's good information, Ruby. It's at, you know what? It's perfect information for me. You know that I like a full bar, so I'm full. I'm full on for that. I didn't realize this is crazy. I, I mean, I've been doing doing food in Richmond or this Virginia for almost, let's just call it, nineteen years. I started when I was four. It's cool. Um, there you I, go. I had no, no clue, and I should know this. Mike, you're from Richmond. Yeah, so I was born there. I lived, I was born, I don't think it's open anymore, at Richmond Memorial Hospital. Um, and I grew up at least till I was five, and we lived off of Monument Avenue. Um, my mom and dad used to work for the Richmond newspaper. Um, they were both journalists. My dad was a photographer. My mom was a journalist. Um, and then we actually moved to DC right around when I was five and Northern, we lived in Northern Virginia, like Alexandria, um, Springfield, that area. Do you have early memories of Richmond? I realize ages zero through five are, you know, probably not a lot still up there, but what, what are your memories? A little bit. Uh, they're, they're a little crazy memories. Um, I wandered off to a park that was that I think was at a elementary school near where we lived. And my parents freaked out because they didn't know where I was and called the police and the police found me wandering around. <laughs> um, so I was, I was getting in, I was getting in trouble at an early age. How about you that? laugh, but now that would be like the lead, lead local news story. Wander parents leave wandering kid on monument Avenue. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, I remember. I remember that. Um, I remember. I had some vague memories of 
our back porch at that house and playing there. And then I had a friend um, who was a little rascal like I was who lived next door to us. His name was Rodney. Um, and we used to play together, like out in the front yard and stuff. A little, little different times back then. I mean, back then, not quite at five, but definitely as you got older, I mean, you could, you know, your parents used to say, hey, come back. You know, when it starts to get dark, when the when the street lights come on, I want you back in the house. And otherwise, you were kind of free to roam. It's like like wild cattle. <laughs> yeah, they just send you out, and and you can just come back right before dinner time for sure. Exactly. So, how do you get into tacos? Like, how did that trajectory happen? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, my my parents divorced. Um, we kind of grew up in a, you know, low lower middle income house. Um, you know, my, my mom was a journalist and, you know, back then, you know, there was still the, not the equalist of pay for women. Um, she was successful, but she didn't still the case, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Now I hear you. Um, but definitely much, I probably much more the case back then. I'm, I'm sure I know it still happens today, but at least there's a lot more awareness about it. Um, but anyway, so she, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So if I, if I wanted to go do fun stuff and do things, I was going to have to get a job. So I lied on a, um, application and said I was 14 and I was actually 13 um, I got my first job as a fry cook at Popeye's Fried Chicken um, and, uh, you know, started working in food service at an early age. And those were the kind of jobs that were easier to get, you know, being in high school and kind of, you know, they needed people on the weekends and at nights. So I could do that after school and on the weekends and worked there and then worked, um, for a breakfast place called La Peep that used to be around. I think there's still some locations out there. And that was all in Northern Virginia. And then I, I went to a, went and worked at a country club and that's really where I kind of started falling in love with kind of more of the art of, of food. Um, yeah. We used to do these big, huge buffets, elaborate, you know, a little more fine dining, um, had actual chefs with chef coats that, you know, worked it there and started to kind of learn more of, you know, the classics of cooking and things like that. And that's when I kind of decided to go to culinary school was after that. And where did you go to school? I went, actually went to Johnson and Wales, um, in Miami, which that campus closed during COVID, which was kind of sad for me. Um, and then I got a hospitality management degree at uh, FIU. And so what did you learn in class that maybe you didn't learn on the job? You know, I probably le- learned kind of more in depth, sort of the classical kind of French cuisine um, and just sort of where some of the, the basics and things come from around around cooking, kind of the foundational pieces of it. Um, but I, I mean, I like a lot of, jobs. Um, I got a lot of work experience, you know, there's nothing, especially in the culinary industry, there's nothing that beats uh, culinary experience. So after you got out of culinary school, where'd you go? Did you go straight into I'm going to do tacos because they're my favorite food? Or did you start at a different space and see what they maybe were doing 
not, I wouldn't say incorrectly, but what you could do better. Yeah, no. So I, I, I will say this. So being in Miami, I kind of fell in love with Latin food culture just in general. Um, now, I wouldn't say it's really taco culture down there, but um, definitely a lot of Cuban food, South American, um, you know, more Caribbean type food, fell in love with that stuff. I had a, a Cuban guy in my class. He, he joked when he said, dude, you're more Cuban than I am. Cause I was always playing with different ingredients from, you know, plantains and yuca and, and that kind of stuff. And, um, so I just, I just really fell in love with that. And I, so I came back to Northern Virginia and I got my first chef job. I was the chef at the world bank in DC and I kind of call that my PhD program for for college um, because we fed three to four thousand people a day for breakfast and lunch, and there was you know it's the World Bank, so every country in the world is pretty much represented there, um, and it was set up kind of like a food court. There was about uh, 12, 13 stations. And each station was kind of a section of the world. And so we did food from every kind of section of the world in those different stations and it rotated every day. So I learned a ton while I was there um, just about, you know, Ethiopian food, you know, Indian food, Thai food, Vietnamese food, all these different cultures, Moroccan um, you know, French, Italian. And after about three months of having that job, they came to me and said, hey, we really need you to change the menu. It needs a big refresh. Hadn't been changed in four or five years. And so, you know, here I am, this kind of wet behind the ears, 22-year-old executive chef managing 75 people and like, oh, and we want you to change the menu. And I was just starting to get comfortable with the menu they had now. And, you know, I think, you know, I, I went to the people, I had about 26 different countries represented on my staff. And I went to those folks and said, hey, how, you know, how do you make great pad thai? What are, what's a favorite dish in your country that people love? How do you make it? And, you know, I won a lot of respect from those folks because I, you know, they'd invite me over to their house. I'd learn from their grandmothers, cousins, aunts and uncles and, how they make those dishes. And so I really got a lot of foundational work from a lot of different cuisines in terms of, you know, um, how those cuisines are made and created and what makes it, you know, authentic versus kind of what I'd seen in cookbooks and stuff like that. They would laugh when I'd bring them these like Indian cookbooks or whatever, like that's not how you make, you know, tikka masala, not even close. Do you recall um, a specific example are you, that they they taught you something and you were like oh like a real eye-opener like that's how it's done yeah i mean like well pad thai was uh you know a, a one thing like one ingredient that doesn't get talked about it probably more now than it would have been back in the mid 90s you could find more authentic recipes for it but you know, I, everything I saw had like brown sugar and things like that. Well, they don't use brown sugar in Thailand per se. They might use cane sugar, which actually acts a lot different than brown sugar. Um, and another thing they use typically in uh, that is something called salted turnip, 
Um, so it's like a fermented uh, turnip um, that they use to help cook down with the sauce to make the sauce to make pad thai. And so, you know, that was something I learned that I would have never learned it. I just looked at cookbooks back at that at that point. So how long were you at this particular kitchen? So I was only there a little over a year, and then um, I was I was highly underpaid. Um, and you're a man. I, How'd that happen? Yeah. Well, I just I you know I was I got promoted into that job. I was right out of college. I think they saw they could get me cheap. Um, and I, you know, I tried to ask for a raise and they gave me a little one, but I was probably making half of what the chef was making before me who left there. Um, and I did a great job there. I got, I got, uh, I was the only non open to the public restaurant that was a taste in the nation chef that year in DC. Um, and you know, I increased, uh, sales by about 20, 30% by the time I left. Um, and so I was just like, well, and I remember my first chef telling me, Hey, you know, if you, if you hit your ceiling, don't be afraid to go to the next place. And so I didn't really see them budget on that. And so I took a vacation to LA, put my resume out and ended up getting hired out there and becoming the chef for MTV and Disney animation and got to work with those guys for a couple years. All and right, then from so, there. Wait, 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 Diana. You're not, not going to breeze over MTV and Disney animation. I, I, okay. yeah, so, you see him? He was walking right past that. He was I'm like, sorry, you know doctor. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about this. <laughs> I'm sorry, doctor. Now that I know you have your PhD, I started calling you doctor now. That's all right. That's all right. All right, doctor. So let's talk about uh, MTV because I love celebrity stories. I can't. Okay. Not, all right. So. And he's gonna want like five of them. Uh, it's it's one like really, really good really one. Awful. Like he's gonna dig your dig in your head. And you know, did you happen to see? I don't know. Choose a mu musician and tell me. I mean, I I'm already apologizing. We, we so we did so that's back when they were still doing quite a few video shoots um, for MTV. Um, you know, we're coming back to the '90s here. Um, I remember them fondly. Yeah, and so we we did quite a bit of catering for them. I didn't get to meet many folks actually there um, because we, you know, we would make the food, drop it, and then you know we were told to go away basically. So, um, but I do remember like different people requesting like a certain nut mix, but they only wanted the cashews and almonds out of that particular nut mix or M&Ms. And they only wanted the blue and the green M&Ms. They didn't want the other colors in the bowl. So that's real. That really happens in your, in your, in your world. That, that, really that, happened. that happened back then for sure. It was a little, it was a little ridiculous. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, yeah, look, it was all fun. I mean, it was a great experience. Um, you know, I, I a lot of my experience at the World Bank helped go in there. They had kind of a tired program in terms of the food there. I came and, you know, I brought sushi. I brought all these other things that they weren't doing. It really kind of lifted up their culinary program while I was out there. So... Um, I, I worked, my, my company I was employed by was Marriott, which then became Sodexo. So I was 
they were my they were who wrote my paychecks, but our clients were MTV and, and Disney Animation. And so um, we did a lot of corporate dining, uh, which I liked because it was one way to be in the food business and not have to work so many nights and weekends. Um, and so, um, yeah, we did a lot of that. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I also was a culinary instructor for a lot of chefs out there. I would host classes on a lot of international cuisine because of my experience at the World Bank and teach people, you know, Asian food and Indian food and things like that. So you mentioned that Miami, when you were there, was not really a taco culture, but Los Angeles, I can only assume is, was, is now and was then. Did you pick up anything during your time off in Los Angeles eating around that you brought to Torchies? Yeah, I mean, I definitely... I think in LA was where I really kind of fell in love more with kind of that street food culture in the sense of like, you know, the taco trucks, the little hole in the walls that you walk up to that, you know, you can only order from a window, um, that type of thing. The little food carts that you would see on the streets, um, and definitely, you know, Mexican food on a whole nother level out in L.A. was, you know, just that. Now, they were they're big into burritos out there, um, you know, which were more of a taco culture here in, in Texas. Although L.A.'s got tons of tacos as well, kind of more street tacos. Um, but I learned um, I learned one of my cooks there. um invited me over to his grandmother's house and she taught me how to make authentic Oaxacan mole, um, which was pretty awesome. So I learned how to make a badass mole recipe while I was out in California from her. Um, and just um, definitely started kind of getting to learn a lot more about just sort of the whole Mexican culture and taco culture while I was out there for sure. So what do you find is different between the LA taco culture and I mean, a burritos, obviously, and Texas because and how did you get from LA to Texas? Because that's where you're currently sitting right now, right in Texas? Yeah, so I was there and then some folks I'd worked with at the World Bank had moved and were working for uh, Enron. Um, and so I got uh, poached to come open a new tower at the Enron building and develop the menu there and oversee the food service at Enron. And it was going to be like the state-of-the-art cafe. We were going to have a fresh-made bakery that we we're going to supply baked goods to other people in the city the whole nine yards and i kind of got there and three months later ended up serving the last supper at enron um we all know how that ended um in houston and and then that's what then transferred me to austin i ended up being an executive chef at dell computers and ran all the food service at dell here in austin yeah i mean as far as like the taco culture it's um you know, Texas has got a little more of a Tex-Mex flair. So you'll see kind of like more of like a beef, almost chili sauce on enchiladas, a little more cheese, a lot more queso. Um, and I'd say, you know, California is a little more, you know, kind of that cabbage light, a squeeze of lime, grilled meats, um, Baja kind of style taco that you find out in California. 
Um, so, you know, you'll get, I mean, I guess you can get a chimichanga in California, but you don't see it quite as often as like you would see kind of on a Texas menu here in more of a Tex-Mex place. Um, so yeah, that's, that's some of the differences, but there's still a lot of similarities. I mean, you can get great El Pastor tacos in either place, great barbacoa tacos, um, good carne asada. Um, Berry is a big thing now. A lot of people do that in, on both sides of the country there. Let's talk about the birth of Torchies. You moved to Austin. You're working for Dell. Let's talk about when the idea for Torchies came about. So I was at Dell, and then I left there. I got kind of tired of doing the corporate stuff. I was actually working on a different concept where I was going to do like almost like a MyFit Foods. I don't know if you ever remember them. If they were there in Richmond, kind of a healthy meals delivered to your house kind of thing. And I got a call and I went to work for a restaurant group here called Chewy's, which I think you guys have a Chewy's in Richmond now. Ironically, when I couldn't get into, into Torchies last night, we went to Chewy's instead. You got a little Austin love there. Um, right. They were actually uh, had a a new concept they were trying to do on the lake here. And they hired me as kind of a development chef to help get that restaurant off the ground. And I did that for about a year and a half. And finally was like, all right, screw this. It's, it's, I really want to do my own thing. And that's when my original business partner had come to me and said, Hey man, I got this old barbecue trailer that I can't sell. What do you think about opening a taco truck? And I kind of thought he was nuts, but we started talking about it. And, you know, I kind of did a taco tour around Texas, you know, all the kind of major spots in Dallas, Houston, Austin, San Antonio. I went out to El Paso to hit some of the border towns. And what I found was it's a lot of great tacos here, but they were all kind of traditional sort of the same sort of tacos, nothing wrong with them, all great, good food, awesome food, a lot of them, but they were pretty simple at that point. You know, cilantro, onions, maybe a lime, a cup, a sauce or two, some had cheese, some didn't, and they were all sort of serving the same version of pastor or barbacoa or carne asada or fajitas. And the thought was, is like, what if we could take tacos and kind of make them more for the masses, make them, make them a little more innovative, bring in some of those culinary things that I have from my past and kind of elevate the taco and do more of a gourmet street taco. And so that was kind of where the idea was born from. And so it started as a trailer truck. When did you yep. open your, and how long were you a trailer truck before you opened up your first restaurant? Uh, it took about two years before we had our first brick and mortar, um, and that we opened the trailer August first, two thousand six. I was going to say, did you open with a very similar menu you have now, or did you? Are you like, no, we've we've totally changed it because we found that this this taco didn't work at all, and this taco is like the best thing ever anybody's ever put. In now there. we so we have a lot of our original stuff on the menu today. Um, we the menu was much simpler and smaller when I started. I think we had a chicken, a beef fajita. We had our green chili pork, which we have today. We still have our beef and chicken fajita too. Um, we had a a barbacoa taco, which is now our Democrat. Uh, we kind of reworked that one a little bit. Um, 
And then we had a burrito and a fajita plate and kind of build your own breakfast tacos. And that, which, which was even a lot, just starting in a trailer, trying to produce all that and get that made and figured out and cooked. Um, and then very quickly, so that kind of checks the, hey, we're a traditional taco trailer box to get open. And then, then we pretty quickly within the first couple of weeks, I started doing, which is now our taco of the month. Um, and our first taco of the month actually is our trailer park. Um, our second taco of the month is our fried avocado that's on our menu today. Um, so a lot of those early tacos made it on the menu. I'd say we were open probably four to five months. And that's when I came up with our green chili queso. Um, so that wasn't originally on our menu, but got there pretty quick. Um, and then some when of I, our sauces and stuff came with those tacos of the month. When I ask people informally their favorite part of your restaurant, queso is always either the first or second thing mentioned. So that's the secret, the green chili queso? Yeah, that's uh, that's that's like our Coke recipe, if you will. Um, we keep that highly protected. Um, it's I call it liquid crack. Um <laughs> I mean, to this day, I mean, I've been eating queso, our queso now for s s almost 17 years, and I still, it's hard for me to stop and not <laughs> eat the whole bowl when it's in front of me. So um, if that tells you anything. Um, so scaling the restaurant from, from trailer truck to single location to multiple locations, when did, when did you make the jump from one to more than one? Well, so I knew, I mean, those early days were really tough. I mean, food trucks and food trailers and all that stuff, they were not the cool hip thing back then. Um, I mean, I remember even being, you know, a little timid to tell people, hey, I was in a food trailer um, because it, I think it wasn't the cool hip thing back then. Uh, we kind of helped start that trend, at least here in Texas. Um, at least from like what you see now, I mean, there were, there were the construction taco trucks and maybe the little trailer kind of in just the Hispanic neighborhoods, but not like what you see today where there's food trucks and trailers kind of in a lot of different spots in Austin serving tons of different cuisines. And so we, I pretty quickly brought on a, uh, a third partner and they, um, to help us open a second trailer and kind of get a little bit of money in my pocket because I didn't get a paycheck for about two years. Um, they came on um, in June of 2007. So that after we'd been open about a year and um, that helped us get our second trailer open. And we kind of, I always wanted to go to a brick and mortar, but you know, it was expensive. Um, and in 2008, we got our first brick and mortar location open. That's a lengthy, that's, I mean, that's a, well, I mean, it's a good story, but it's a lengthy one, right? Like that's a lot of work by you guys. And I love knowing that we can still get some of your original menu items here. Like now that's very cool that they've stood your actual menu items that you created have stood such a long and successful amount of time. I think that's pretty. Yeah. Neat. I think, you know, so one of the, so a couple things, two things, one, getting into business for myself, I really wanted to create opportunities for people. 
that wouldn't normally get opportunities, the cooks, the bussers, the cashiers of the world, develop them, give them skills, hopefully make a manager someday. Um, and then two is, you know, I, I wanted, I felt like customers just deserved more, um, that they deserved, you know, even though we were kind of a simple taco place or whatever, like they deserved scratch made food. They deserved food that was made with love that came from an inspired place that wasn't out of a freezer box that you just threw into a deep fryer and, and took us another sauce that was from a bag and, and threw it on top of it and called it good. You know what I mean? Like people deserved, you know, really a scratch made homemade, you know, food that they could enjoy and they could feel that love and passion when they're eating it. And so I was real adamant about, Hey, it doesn't get on the menu unless it comes from some sort of inspired place. And that was, you know, and, and it's still that way today. Like we won't do things, especially from a food perspective, unless there's some sort of inspired thought or inspired kind of thing that it comes from. And, you know, that usually involves like, Hey, I'm in a grocery store somewhere and I see an ingredient and it sparks an idea and then I get excited and I can't wait to like get in the kitchen and like do something with that ingredient. And typically that stuff actually is some of the easiest things to create, but you have to be patient till those ideas and that thing comes to fruition to be able to, to be able to have that kind of moment and actually create that item. So um, you know, it's, it's funny, the things that we've, we've sort of tried just because we thought we needed to try them usually don't tend to work out. It's the things that just sort of come naturally, come easy, that come from that inspired place that the things that actually work. And, and I usually literally get them within one or two tries and it's the perfect taco. So um that that's and i think that's why they've stood the test of time because they're authentic they're real they come from a real place they're not some contrived thing they're not because you know hey shishito peppers are the cool hip ingredient this year so we should do something with shishito peppers not that i wouldn't do something with those peppers because i do love them but it would it wouldn't be because of that it would be for a different reason you know what i mean so tell me, somebody said there's something called a secret menu. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. So uh, we have some things on our secret menu that you can get. Um, you can get our trailer park hillbilly style. Um, so that's uh, a trailer park trashy. And then you add chorizo. Um, there's uh, our green chili pork missionary style, uh, which actually I got that. Um, idea on a trip when I was in San Francisco and I was walking around eating tacos in the mission district. Um, they were this one taco shop. I went in, we're taking these corn tortillas and par frying them to where they were a little crispy, but had a little bit of flexibility to them. And then they would melt cheese on them and then they would put them inside a flour tortilla and serve meat on them. So it's, it's got, 
it's it's got that, and then it's uh, got some guacamole, some pickled onions, a little creamy chipotle on there. It's such a good taco. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of our in the know menu that you got to know what's going on. Um, and the only way you do that is you just come, you know, come to Torchies and ask around and poke around, and you'll find it. I love that. Okay. You know, I like a secret menu, and I also really enjoy the whole flour slash corn tortilla um, double up situation. I feel like that it gives me the best of both worlds. Um, and do you guys make your tortillas? Uh, we do. Yeah, all our all our tortillas are homemade um, in restaurant. Pretty much everything we make is from scratch. We make in every restaurant um, every day, um, and you know, we we marinate all our own meats. We grill everything in house. We're making all our sauces. We're trapping everything. We're, you know, doing all the stuff to, to bring that love and passion to the food so that, you know, it translates um, when we put it out in front of the guest. Now, were you CEO when the first expansions happened? I know you were, you started off as CEO, then you stepped away and now you're back as CEO. Were you, were you part of the, the major expansions? Yeah. I mean, so I, so we, um, I, I, my official title was never CEO until this last year. I mean, I was always the founder, right? Um, which I sort of kind of made me the default CEO, I guess. But we, with my original partners, um, I told you about the ones that joined in 07. Then we had a third that joined in 08. And then we had a fourth that joined in 2011. And uh, my original partner, he ended up leaving um, in 2008 or, or late 2007, I should say. Um, but we, there was, so it was kind of the original five of us. And we kind of all sort of just took on different areas of the business and kind of ran it pretty democratically, honestly. Um, if we didn't all buy into something, we didn't do it. So there wasn't any real leader per se. I mean, maybe I'd have the final say on some things here and there, but we tried to really operate as a unit and, and run it together with everybody's input. Um, and we got to, I want to say about 45 restaurants before we hired our previous CEO. And we're kind of hoping that, you know, he would help us expand and stuff. And, and he did, he put some good things in place and he left and the board came to me and asked me to step back in and, and take back over the reins. And I've, I've had a blast doing it. It's been great. Um, I love, I think I didn't give myself the credit I deserve before maybe thought that like, Hey, maybe this might be over my skis a little bit. And I've, I mean, I don't know. You can ask my, ask all the peer, all my peers I work with if they think I'm doing a good job. I think I am. Um, but well, I mean, I, you it's know, it's have, interesting. You started off with, in a, you know, like you said, in a in a trailer truck, and now you have a board, and you have, you know, obviously almost a hundred locations, right? Is that my is that number right? Uh, one hundred nine. Yep. One, oh, more than hundred. Yeah. You know, we're interviewing you over Zoom, and we we see you like responding to messages on your phone. I saw that um, poor guy. I feel like, I mean, he so just like, is getting hit. <laughs> what, is, what is the day? In the, yeah. It's like message, message, message. I'm like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, everybody wants him. <laughs> and you're doing a great job. Like continuing your, your train of thought while like swiping these messages. I, you know, we appreciate yeah. that. Um, and we won't keep you much longer, but now you're what, good. What is the day? Like, in a, what is a day in the life of a CEO? Like, 
for you as opposed to maybe what it was like in 2007 when you were up at, up at 5 a.m. making tacos? Yeah, I mean, I'm not your traditional CEO, I don't think. Um, I mean, m- maybe I am. I don't know. I mean, hell, yesterday I spent the whole day in the kitchen doing R&D stuff. I don't know that there's a lot of CEOs that would do that. There's probably some. Uh, lots of meetings, lots of, uh, you know, meeting with different department heads within the company, talking to our people. I try to get out in restaurants as much as I can, obviously, to see all our frontline folks and, and get and see how our operations are doing. Um, and and really just, um, you know, solving a lot of day-to-day stuff and then also looking to the future and, and planning for sort of the next phase of where the company's going to grow. Um, we've got, you know, kind of three big projects this year. We, we're opening quite a few stores, uh, Richmond being um, a big piece of that, which is super exciting, like I said, for us. Uh, we just opened in Short Pump. We're going to open in Carytown. And then we have another store uh, slated for Midlothian towards the end of the year, which is exciting. Um, and then we're, uh, we're going to change some technology this year um, that'll help from a customer's per- perspective and also for um, our employees and stuff. And then um, – We've got some uh, kitchen innovation stuff we're looking at this year and menu innovation stuff we're looking at this year. So, um, you know, three kind of big, big things to focus on. And, um, you know, and it's really it's all about, you know, doing the right thing for the right reasons and, and keeping setting us up for growth and being able to execute on a higher level. Um, you know, it, it's, I don't think many people can say this. I, I can say that our food is better today than it was even when we started. Um, and a lot of that's got to do with just, you know, we're, we've got more purchasing power. We can buy better ingredients. We can, um, you know, we've, we've honed in on a lot of things. We've, experimented with a lot of stuff to be able you know when i started we didn't have homemade tortillas i was in a trailer i didn't have a lot of room to do homemade tortillas um so there's not many companies that you know i think we started doing homemade tortillas and we've got them almost company-wide now um pretty much in every store um at like 60 stores there's usually people are trying to go from homemade to not homemade at that point and so we kind of go the opposite direction and how can we do this more fresh what can we do to improve the quality of it how can we make a better taco for you know that we can be more proud of did you come to richmond when you guys were looking at locations uh yeah i i get there one of my best friends actually lives in richmond um, so he's a guy that I, I grew up with in Northern Virginia and he went to VCU down there and then, uh, ended up staying after college. Um, and he's, we've kept in touch all these years. He's one of my best friends. His name's Alex. Uh, he used to actually be a DJ on a local radio station there. I don't remember the name of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's a great dude. Um, so I get there to see him a lot. And then, obviously, when we were looking at spots, I wanted to make sure we were going to the right places there for sure. 
Did you eat anything other than tacos while you were here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, God, what's, um, there's a restaurant over there in Carytown that um, everyone goes to. Yep, I've been there, been to Can Can. Um, you know, Alex has taken me to a bunch of different places. I can't remember the name of it. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely into the, uh, and, and Richmond has a great food culture there. There's some great restaurants in that town. We try. We certainly try. For the size of town we are, I think that we have, I, I obviously am very biased, but I think we have an incredible food culture. So yeah. I keep seeing you. I feel so grateful that you're spending some time with us because you are absolutely slammed with the text messages. I'm hoping nothing's on fire. Um, oh, everything's <laughs> fine. Everything's good. That's just that's par for the course. <laughs> so I have one last question for you, Scott, unless you have something. Um, but I want to know what the CEO of Torchy's Tacos orders at his own restaurant. So I am, uh, lately, my go-to has been the Tipsy Chick. Uh, always a bowl of queso. Um, never always get a bowl of queso. And I've been, I've, I've been on a Tipsy Chick kick lately. I do love our Baja shrimp and good old green chili pork. Those are my kind of go-tos. Um I, you know, obviously the trailer park is hard to beat as well. I mean, they're all good. Um, but I definitely uh, love the, 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 the one I've been craving lately has been the tipsy chick will be the one that I order. That'll be the first thing I have at the Carytown location. I live kind of near there. So when that opens, I'll be, I'll be one of the first eating a tipsy chick. Well, you guys heard it here on Eat of Virginia from Mike Ripka, CEO of Torchy's Tacos. It's a tipsy chick, Scott. That's what we got. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Thanks we appreciate so your time. Hey, it's great seeing you guys. Thank you so much for reaching out. Great to talk to y'all. And uh, hopefully get to meet you in person when I get out there in a couple of weeks. I went to Torchy's for the first time. I've been twice, the one to Shore Pump twice since we spoke to Mike, and he is right on about the queso. Um, I can't. Okay, so Ryan, my other half, as you know, and I went to Houston for a very cool wedding, um, like maybe less than, let's just say less than a month ago. Actually, yeah, probably right around a month ago. And I took Ryan to like a billion places for a billion different types of Tex-Mex everything, and I am not a white queso person, like the plasticky white stuff that we get here, but everyone loves it. I love a yellow queso and just jab me in an eye with a pen. This one is so, so good. I brought some home to Ryan and he put one chip in it and was like, what? Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I took my mom uh, to the one out in Shore Pump this, this uh, month. And I have a photo, maybe I'll share it on social, of her literally licking the bowl. Like we had gone through the chips. There was nothing left to dip it. There was no uh, vehicle with which to get the queso from the bowl to your mouth. So she just, you know, went full cat. <laughs> <Just sort of laughs> 
started <laughs> licking the bowl. It was um, it was impressive on her part. All right, so I'm gonna steal that full cat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Full cat to the bowl, and I love it. I would do that too. I would 100% do that. We were scraping it out. I thought it was great. It's great. I, everybody should go. Everyone should check it out. My service was outstanding. The line, even though I watched it because I took Mike's tip, um, went pretty fast. So pretty stoked. Awesome. We we launched this segment on the last podcast, this, this best bite segment, where we kind of quiz each other on the best bites that we had since our last podcast. And we started spreading it on social media. People seemed to like it. Other people were getting involved and sharing their best bites. That was pretty cool to see. Mm-hmm. And so have we? do we have a best bite nominee for this podcast, Roby? So I do. So my best bite is from the new restaurant that took over the Seco and Buddy spot, Ulivetto. I had, I don't think that you can get a big bowl of clams in Richmond like this. And I had two big bowls of clams. My favorite being the grilled clam with the Calabrian chilies. And so it's for you, Scott, because you said last time my bite was like the whole thing. You so kind this of time broke the rules last time. Yeah, well I didn't this time. It's one clam, which is bite size, breadcrumbs, Calabrian chili, has to be butter in there. The whole thing is just magic. Like bewitched magic. I'm so happy you had a great bite. That that won. That won the whole thing. So I have not gone out to eat too often since our last podcast, unfortunately. But I did take the family to Bar West. had two whole weeks. I know. I know. I but I did take the family to Bar West. We checked out the new restaurant. And uh, back, to, back to Mommy Dearest. She loves a medium rare burger. It has Ooh. to be a medium rare burger. And if it's not medium rare, we'll hear about it. Everybody will hear about it. Okay. She orders the chef's burger from Bar West. The one burger. on the pretzel roll. The one on the pretzel roll. Okay. And it came out the perfect temperature. So thank you, friends over at Bar West, for delivering the, the best bite with that burger, perfectly cooked for her liking. It made all of our lives a whole lot easier. When moms are happy, we are happy. That's for sure. So good. Bar West making moms happy everywhere. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Making West End moms happy. <laughs> Ever. Since 2023. Quite literally. <laughs> the, the other segment that we debuted last week was a little bit of a, we didn't really have a name for it. We were kind of dabbling around with names, but I think we're going to call it first course. So I have a thousand different names in the intro if you can't hear it. So you guys pick out a name and I'll get it right in the intro one day. <laughs> the, idea, the idea behind this segment was I'm going to throw out some names of new restaurants or about to open restaurants or recently opened restaurants to Roby. She doesn't know what I'm going to mention. This is all blind to her. And she's going to give me her first course, her first take, her first opinions, whatever, on said restaurants. Are you ready, Roby? As ready as I'll ever be. Okay, again, she does not know what I'm about to say. Not a, not a clue. The first restaurant we're going to talk about, and again, just want your first take on this, Great. is Lost Letter. Ooh, Long Ovens in the front of their building new Italian space. So I went back up, Roby. Andrew Manning was in Alba, Italy for like 10 years. He um, lived there and worked in a really incredible restaurant um, like Manning, as the chef de cuisine, I, I believe. I'm not sure what they call him in Italy, but he helmed the kitchen. And so him bringing that to Richmond is a 
effing banger of an idea. What is it exactly? It's an Italian restaurant. They're doing like, I mean, it's really tough to call. Like, I know it's all Italian. I know there's raviolo there. I know that there's like pasta that's specific to the region that he was in. Um, I, it's Italian food. I have not been in the front lobby of the twi- I believe oven? there is like, so if you've been to long oven, there's like a front area. That's a bar area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like where the bathrooms are. So a natural division right there. And then there's the back area where you can see the kitchen. So they're going to keep that as they're tasting long oven. So what the original restaurant was for. And then where they were doing a la carte in the front, or sometimes they were doing a la carte in the front, they're now having that be an Italian restaurant. So it's still a two-in-one concept. It's just two different concepts as opposed to a two-in-one concept using kind of the same menu. And this is in addition to what they're going to do with the new veil space. This is not the same thing. So the yakitori, which is, you know, stuff on sticks. I love it. Um, Not all stuff on sticks. So don't people, please don't come at me, but um, that's all like grilled food on sticks. Um, And that's going to be called Norobiki, Norobiki. I don't know. I don't pronounce things well, but um, totally different. So that's three concepts for Long Oven, Andrew Manning, The Feelings. And Lost Letter is open for business? It is, it is open. It opened Thursday, January 26th right. for their first day. And we actually, um, if you're listening to this, this will be Monday. So two nights ago, Ryan and I thought about going on Saturday and they had reservations open at 745. So they're busy, but you can get in, which is nice to see. Well, we're looking forward to experiencing that. Second restaurant, Penny's. Ooh, Rich Wine, Lance Lemon and his partner, partner Rich Wine, Manny from Manuel Baden from Manny Eats. So a wine shop in the old stoplight gelato right there in Jackson Ward. And it opens February 4th, let's say. I'm relatively certain that's today. Um, They soft opened. You can probably get reservations now if you understand that it's still a soft opening. But it's um great fair for man- Manny is an extremely talented chef and Lance really, really knows his wine. He was in New York doing wine and now he's come to be closer to her, his sister, I believe, and his family. And if you're not familiar with his sister, that would be Kelly Lemon. Got it. All right. So we're looking forward to checking out Penny's when it opens. And I got some insider information on this third spot. Ooh. It's not open quite yet, but I'm hearing that it could be opening in the first half of February. We're talking about Odyssey. Oh, insider information. Yeah, I hear the first week of February is going to be the day that Lee Gregory and Bo Coteau are going to open what they the place that they moved from Hatch Local over to the old Billy Pie, which is Three Chopped and Patterson, let's just say, right across from the Publix there. And there's parking, which is a big deal to lots of people. It's going to be pretty seafood forward. Actually, I have the opening day menu on my phone. Would you like to see it? Uh, yes, I would like it? to see the opening day menu. I'm walking, I'm walking would over. Would you look at video? I'm walking over to Roby's camera right now. To me, because, <laughs> you know, we're in a studio. Maybe you can read this to uh, the, the listeners. I'm going to. What? You do have it. Holy. Um, 
let's just talk about what I'm excited about. Want to real quick? I'm not going to read the whole thing because something's got to be a surprise. But I would like to talk about the snapper escovish. I would like to talk about the sweet dinner rolls with everything bagel crunch and caviar. What? More baked clams? What is this? <laughs> uh, surf clams with a clam pie? A, a pizza with clam pie? Ryan's going to freak. This is great. I like when anybody says chocolate panna cotta, fancy, lots of layers, stuff on top. Bo, I am in. I want whatever has lots of layers and stuff on top. Holy moly. Bo, this looks amazeballs. Anyway, it's opening like the first week of February, at least, or the second week. I see here maybe February 6th. I'm just going through Scott's text yeah, messages. <laughs> I love it. February 6th. All right, February 6th. And uh, check out Torchies in Carytown or Short Pump. Check out all these new restaurants we're talking about. We're very excited. Uh-uh, I'm not done. I've got a question for you, Scott. Oh. Lay it on me. I'm laying it on you. So as we know, that I can get a little bit fired up about restaurant things. I'm maybe a little too invested. So I have a restaurant question for you mm. to answer. Are you ready? Yes. If you go to a website <laughs> to look at a restaurant, yes, because you are thinking you might want to eat there, yes, and there are no prices, what do you do? I probably tag them in a fiery Instagram story and hopefully they'll, they'll respond to me. Nobody likes an app, Scott. Uh, okay. This episode of Eat It Virginia... <laughs> Eat It Virginia? <laughs> this episode of Eat It Virginia... <laughs> no! Oh, God, no.